I know that some people have a picture of me on their dartboards, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's a painful thought sometimes. Whiskey, whiskey, the singer's getting sore. We raise the roof now and we're lowering the floor. The band is blistered, but we got a little more. When I say one, two, Welcome to the Whiskey Topic, the weekly podcast that tends to get off topic. My name is Mark Bylock. I'm the author of The Whiskey Cabinet, and my co-host is Jamie Johnson, who runs a private but approachable bourbon club here in Toronto, Canada. You can also find our podcast on the website whiskey.buzz. So, love to welcome Dr. Nick Morgan from Diageo. He is the head of Whiskey Outreach. Um, and welcome to the show, Nick. No, thank you very much for having me, Mark. Now, what kind of corporate brainstorming session created your title of head of whiskey outreach? Was that a big meeting? Did it last a long time? Well, uh, you know, if a meeting in Diageo doesn't last a week, it's not really worth having. So I would imagine <laughs> head of whiskey outreach, probably about 10 days. And it is quite a title. So tell us what it means. Tell us what, what, what that exactly means. Well, I, I, as I sit here in West London, I am reaching out to you and your uh, your audience to tell you all the great things there are to know about Scotch whiskey. So I think that that captures the essence of what I'm supposed to do. Excellent. Yeah. Not too shabby. It's kind of Not too shabby. On a, on a good day, it's the best job in the world. Right. <laughs> yeah. On a bad and day. on a bad day? <laughs> let's not go there. Bad day, a blogger writes a terrible article and it's like, ah, oh, this is a terrible job title. <laughs> yeah. All those angry Twitter eggs get really upset. I mean, sometimes I think my role also is a bit like the UN peacekeeping force or something because there's, there's far too much anger, I think, in the world of whiskey. And I have a personal mission to bring peace, love and understanding to it if I possibly can. Well, that's good. I appreciate that, especially because we've we've sort of Mark and I have talked about it and I sort of lament whiskey Twitter. Sometimes I, I take many breaks from whiskey Twitter because it, it, it can get really uh, it can get pretty salty out there. Um, and, you know, especially uh, we sort of uh, see a lot of, of anger, especially around those no age statement whiskeys that uh, come out and uh, everyone seems to have a moment where they flip a table and um, it's kind of unpleasant. So, yeah, you must get the the brunt of some of that sometimes, especially around no age statement stuff. Uh, well, it's, uh, I get the brunt of it for everything. Uh, sometimes, I mean, Diageo, I think, is supposedly responsible for all the ills in the world or something <laughs> like that. Oh, boy. Uh, I, th I think Nick, Nick's been listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and as one of the uh, one of the front people for Diageo, you know, I, I I proudly carry a bag full of scars and lacerations. Um, but you know, I mean, whiskey is supposed to be about fun and sociability and companionship. And actually, I get along quite well with many of the people that I'm sort of professionally perhaps rather rude to. And we do have good times together, and we share great glasses of whiskey and sociable conversation. But 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 there's there's a sort of edge there which I sometimes don't don't really understand. You know, it's not it's not part of my world. Yeah, you do kind of navigate this world where you know most of ninety percent or plus of your whiskey business is you know a, a general whiskey audience that goes in and buys Johnny Walker Black or Red, um, and then you have that audience that's like rating Lugavel in twelve by year and seeing which one's better and worse and complain when the something vintage isn't as good as the vintage before. So you really are crossing these 
these boundaries where like your your job is probably to you know keep everybody happy but like that 10 percent of your audience or smaller is really uh, very active and very like oh no it's statement talisker and, and and everybody flips the table um how has that conversation changed uh, because i think it has in the last you know four or five years well I, th- I i i would like to think it has and i would like to think it has because of the certainly from a Diageo perspective, from, from the quality of, of the products that we've released and put in front of people to sample. So just today or last week, we got the results of this year's um, International Wine and Spirits competition. And I know some people don't think competitions are a particularly good guide to anything, but certainly the IWSC is a pretty good one and its judging is quite robust. And they've just given Talisker Sky, which is one of our no-age statement whiskies, gold best in class. At the same time, it's won the highest award at the Mondial Selection, the European competition. And, and, and I think, um, you, you know, when, when you start these things, people have a very negative view. Oh, well, if it hasn't got an age statement, it's got to be three years old only and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and they join the rant on social media before, very often, I think, before they try these whiskies. Things like Talisker Sky, great, I think. Oban Little Bay, really great. I mean, and that's, believe me, that's not a three-year-old whiskey by any means. And we took a lot of time to develop that one. So, so, so I think as people have become more accustomed to the idea of not seeing a number on a label or a carton, and of actually maybe having the confidence to taste things and just make their own minds up about them, which is partly what this debate is about, I think, um, I think as that process has gone on, pe- people have become to appreciate them a lot more. The um, but with Lagavulin Eight, you did something different, which I thought was interesting. You you uh, you um, were celebrating the 200th anniversary of the distillery, and you released you know for for our audience that that um, aren't aren't aware that you released two uh, bicentennial uh, bottles. Uh, one was a very expensive release. That's you know very much older but you also released a cheaper um eight-year-old whiskey where you did put the age on the statement and tell us tell us why because i thought that was an interesting move and i, I think mm. it's delicious whiskey um you know talk about a young mm. whiskey that's delicious um but what was the what was the reasoning behind that yeah well um i think i think the whiskey is more than delicious actually uh, again it took took a long time to get it right but i mean it's it's um it's a really wonderful drink and quite a fitting way to I think celebrate Lagavulin's 200 years. So the, the the thinking was right at the start that we wanted to have um, a bottling that would be accessible to everyone and at a price that most people would think was pretty reasonable. I mean, I know there are some people who seem to think they should be given bottles of whiskey for free, but the world doesn't really work like that. So um, So we wanted a reasonably priced special bottling. And there was a long discussion about whether this whiskey would have an age statement on it or not. And I personally took the view, which not everyone did, that, um, to, to be honest, it simply wasn't worth the grief of not putting an age statement on it. You know, ah. the, the, the anniversary was supposed <laughs> to be a celebration, not a provocation. We, we do provocations, but we didn't want to do that for like a villain, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it was just sort of, let's let's make life easy. So we'll, let's let's put an age statement on it, and um, and and so we sort of managed to get a consensus around that. And then, reasonably enough, the marketing guys working on the brand said, "Well, if it's going to be eight years old. We need to. We are wiser eight years old. There needs to be a story." And, of course, we got the, the great quote from Alfred Barnard's visit in the 19th century when 
he was given a glass of eight-year-old after his tour of the distillery and declared it to be exceptionally fine. And I, and I think actually as we got into that, people who'd been maybe thinking, no, we should do no age statement, began to see that actually by putting out an explicitly aged young whiskey, we could make a really serious point about how great these whiskies can be. Mm -hmm. um, so we were all very much um, agreed that that was the route we should take. And then we went, once we tasted the liquids that we, you know, that our guys were putting together, everyone, I think, realized that we'd certainly done, done the right thing. Yeah, I, I love that statement that you just said. We do provocation. I love that because Diageo has like uh, put out statements, and and Mark probably has an entire file full of the the statements that Diageo has put out that were sort of meant to ignite, or, or you'd be a little tongue in cheek, or um, you know, sort of. Uh, toe the line a little bit, which I think is great and hilarious for a spirits company to have such a kind of a spirit about them more than any other sort of company of, of, you know, that size that I've ever seen sort of in the spirits business. Everyone's pretty uh, careful and Diageo sometimes just is like, no, we're just going to say this and see where it lands. And yeah, <laughs> it's kind of well, fun. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like you to think we weren't careful because that is no. lose my job quite quickly. Uh, but but I mean it's interesting because I read um, Mark your review of Lagavulin, an eight-year-old, in, in which you described me as being outspoken, uh, which I found rather entertaining. But but I th I thought about it and um, I don't I don't think I'm outspoken at, at, at all. But I think what what my job is is to speak out. That's not the same, in my view, as being outspoken. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, and you know, Diageo has mu has much of a right to have a point of view on non-age statement whiskies or on using caramel coloring or you know whatever else it is that people are going crazy about. We have as much of a right to have a point of view uh, on that, and a, a well-reasoned and argued point of view, as do consumers who get genuinely concerned and passionate about it. And I think engaging. Um, you know, sometimes in, in, in the spirit, uh, open spirit of debate with people who feel, you know, very genuinely passionate, and I respect that deeply, um, on these issues is the way it should be done. And not hide away and not say anything or pretend there's not an issue or pretend that people, you know, don't have concerns. That's not the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, I love some of your quotes. Um, I think the, uh, you know, your, your, uh, explain like you're explaining noise statement whiskey i think is, is excellent i think you know you're looking at history in the past where most whiskey had no eight statements and how eight statements really were a product of like you know wow we have a lot of old whiskey we don't know what to do with it let's put a number on the bottle and see if that you know gets more money for the products that aren't selling and how that became the consumer norm essentially this is what we we tended to expect uh, but I, I love the fact that you guys put an eight statement on logo and uh, eight i think that's a wonderful you know mm -hmm. move mm -hmm. i I, I do honestly like for for whiskey reviewers it's excellent because it's like okay here's an eight statement and here's a really you know excellent bottle of whiskey and now we've we've know how long it's been in there for, um, and I, I'm guessing you would have gotten more grief if you had just ignored the uh, you know ignored that oh number. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, and I don't I don't always need grief sometimes I quite enjoy it but but not, <laughs> not, not and I mean I think I think the thing as well you need to you, people do need to understand and I think um, uh, you know in the heat of some of the debate and rhetoric that's gone on um, people haven't realised that 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 the thing about non-age statement whiskies the thing that should be about non-age statement whiskies 
is that they are carefully constructed, some people might say artistically constructed, blends of very well-chosen whiskies of different ages from different casks that when they are combined together produce that thing that gives them their very special sort of taste, DNA or identity or whatever you call it. And because so much effort has gone, gone into uh, doing that, it seems wrong to put the, the average age on, which might be 8 or 12 or 14 or whatever it could be, because it simply isn't about that number. It's about what has gone into making that taste, which is quite different, really. Yeah, yeah, I think we're, yeah. And I'm, I, lo I, love I love having these... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, yeah. I was just going to say, I love that you said uh, the word blends because we like, I mean, you know, sometimes in talking about single malt, people, again, get pretty um, heated when they when you say the B word. They're like, oh, no, it's not a no, it's not a blend. So it's it, it, but it kind it is <laughs> like <laughs> it is. it's many barrels blended together. But, you know, everyone sort of sidesteps and oh, we marry the barrels or we, you know, there's mingle the barrels. There's so many words that people use rather than blending barrels together. Um, but so I, I really like that you use that term. Every single malt is a blend, whether it has an age statement or doesn't have an age statement, is a blend. Mm -hmm. and, and at the behind every single malt is a blender who has a recipe. So there is a recipe for Talisca 10-year-old in terms of the types of casts that are going to be pulled to make that 10-year-old liquid in exactly the same way as there is a recipe, very specific casks of different ages that are going to be pulled for the uh, Talisca Sky. And remember, the Talisca 10 might not be 10 years old. It might have 11 years, 12 years, 13 years old. Whiskey in it. I mean, the fact of the matter is that um, if you went back 20 years ago and bought, let's say, a bottle of 12-year-old Johnny Walker Black Label, or 25 years ago, certainly, when, when there was all that whiskey floating around in Scotland from the whiskey lock, I would imagine your Johnny Walker Black Label was probably 15, 16, 17 years old, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, ages change, even if they're declared, the actual, the actual age will um, will sometimes go up, you know, depending on uh, what infantry is around. But why not? Uh, why not leave? Um, at least I know you cannot hand down the bottles in Scotland right now. But why not have uh, information on what what bottles or what age groups uh, have gone into that bottle? Like uh, like uh, what Brookladdy's doing with uh, the classic Lotti. They're they're trying that out. I mean, this isn't. I know every industry is trying something a little different. But you know, that's a nice solution. You put in the bottle number. You see what's uh, what's been in there. Um. So. That would be a, a challenge of huge complexity if you were doing it for blends that are sure, produced you know, by, yeah. by, by the millions of cases, obviously. Um, and for single malts, as far as we understand it at the moment, it is not compliant with the Scotch whisky uh, regulations. And I would just remind people, again, who get very angry about this stuff, it's nothing to do with the Scotch Whisky Association. Scotch whisky regulations are enshrined in Scottish law, British law, and European law. And so we have to abide by, by those regulations. If the regulations were changed, then we might well do something different. But at the moment, that's, that's how they are. Yeah, so for our listeners, um, we, there, there was a, a case where uh, distillery, you know, put in, had a blend of, you know, a very young, old, and, and very old bottle, a barrel of whiskey, and they uh, included those age statements. And when it... Uh, the Scotch Whiskey Association, which governs uh, those releases, um, really, you know, came in and said, "No, you can't do that. It's uh, you can only state the 
um, the youngest age of, on the bottle. And apparently, and I, I've heard the story, and I'm, I'm, you know, Nikki can confirm this. Uh, apparently, this comes from the fact that uh, Johnny Johnny Walker, I believe, Black, uh, or or maybe uh, another another version of it was was very uh, would have a, at one point somebody said, oh, this has thirty year old Scotch in it, and uh, somewhere else in the world, people started marketing. Not necessarily Diageo, but people that were reselling the product were remarketing and saying, "Oh, this is a thirty-year-old bottle barrel of whiskey in it." Um, and the whole idea was like, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want marketing to take, you know, those kind of statements and say, "Oh, there's like a half ounce of thirty-year-old whiskey here. Let's advertise as a thirty-year-old whiskey." So they were very strict for valid reasons. But now you have a restriction of what you can state on the bottle. Beyond yeah, that, the that, that 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 may well have happened, Mark. I couldn't possibly comment, but you know, I think what you said may well be true. Yeah. 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 But you are very open on the on the other side uh, with uh, your drinkspirits.com website. Um, Diageo firmly stands for having nutritional uh, information for all their all their spirits, all their all Absolutely. everything they sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, thought... I think there is a. To be honest, I think within the Scotch whiskey industry and I think the spirits industry as a whole, there is um, a real appreciation of the fact that consumers want to know more about what they drink. They want to know about how it's made, where the ingredients come from, all of that sort of stuff. And people are doing uh, as much as they can to try and make that information available. And certainly, I mean, you know, you may you may not know, Mark, but before I took on this role, I was marketing director for Diageo's Malt Whiskies for probably more years than I should have been. And, and, and everything we did in that, uh, when I was running that, was around giving people as much information as we possibly could as a way of growing the category through education and knowledge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So from here and, and sort of what's happening in the, the whiskey world, where where do you sort of see things moving towards? Is there anything that you, you know, that you're, you're seeing sort of on the horizon or anything you'd like to see sort of coming up in the, in the world of whiskey? Well, I'd like to see people giving, if we talk about scotch, certainly, Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see people giving um, blended Scotch whiskey a much better chance than they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people, you, you mentioned it earlier, I think people, you know, you, you use the B word, you know, yeah. as, as if it's the most pejorative thing that possibly right. could be said. Um, but, you know, the fact, fact of the matter is, and I know some people will already be stopped, stopped listening at this point, I'll say it. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is that um, so if you take Diageo, for example, we produce around 67 or 70 different blend specs, I think. No one actually seems to be quite sure, which I always find very entertaining. <laughs> uh, and, and, if, and if you were to sit down and do a tasting across those, those blends, some of which, of course, are quite regional, so things like Old Par, which you really only see in Latin America and Japan, and Windsor, which is in Korea, and and other parts of mainland China, um, you would be astonished at the diversity of taste and flavors in the glasses, which is which is as wide as the and diverse as the taste and flavor that you get from a whole range of single malts. And there, and there are blends for every occasion, for every type of drink. Um, and frankly, you know, um, I sort of get a bit bored drinking single malts all the time. And, and, and I, I feel you don't single malt you know if you drink like a vulan every night which when i'm on isla i'm probably forced to do and you know it's a great distress to me to have to do that but when i get home 
when when I get home, I like to give Lagavulin a break, and I might have a black label, or I might have a, um, uh, a Dimple, which is one of my favourite whiskies, or something like that. So it's, mm. I think people should actually go to blends with an open blended scotches, at least with with an open mind, uh, and and give them a chance. Is that a frustration? Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say, is that a frustration that you, you feel like um, Diageo's, you know, selling and marketing very ec excellent blends and they're just, they're the market. I mean, I know blends are a big part of your sales, but as far as the whiskey enthusiast, it, there's not that much appreciation there. Well, I think it is because, uh, and, and again, it's not, uh, um, it's not everyone who, who, um, who hates blends and thinks they're poor quality and stuff like that, but, but, but it, it, it does sort of distress me and it makes me it makes me sort of question people's um balanced view and judgment if if they just want to be critical of things without really trying them and considering them and you know blends still make up over 90% of the scotch that's sold in the world mm -hmm. now that 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 figure may change and it may become 85% but there's going to become a point where it can't get something like much slower than 80%. So blends are never going to go away. The industry as it is structured cannot survive without blends. And of course, if it wasn't for these great blends, you wouldn't have the great single malts because there's a synergistic relationship between the two. And it's only a very few owners of single malt distilleries that can just live by selling single malt alone. Most distilleries, whatever they might like to tell you, are dependent on selling single malts for fillings to be used in blends. Um, so that's another thing that pisses me off, if I may say so. Mm -hmm. When um, you know, when you hear people say, "Well, yeah, they keep the good whiskey for the single malts, and and then it then it's the crap stuff that goes only the, that crap stuff that goes into the blends." Well, if it's ninety percent of all the whiskey that we sell, and therefore ninety percent of all the whiskey that we make. We can't be very good at making whiskey, can we? Just doesn't, you know, just logically doesn't add up. Mm -hmm. and, and in fact, most distillers do their best to make the very best single malt whiskey they can. And certainly in Diageo, we make the very best single malt whiskey we can to make the very best blends that we can. And those people that go and drink Lagavulin or Cardu uh, or Kalila or Talisker, whatever it might be, should appreciate the fact that those malts are only as good as they are, only as excellent as they are, because we care so much about the blends that they go into. That's the way the world really works. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think the, um, um, you know, J Jamie's a, a big bourbon fan and, uh, you know, has a big bourbon collection and, and uh, does bourbon tastings primarily. And, um, you know, in bourbon, you have such a variety of the recipe. But in Scotland, you don't have a variety of a recipe for single malt scotches. Uh, I do find there's a lot of, um, you know, when, when the trend came up and there's like people wanted single malt scotch and, you know, the popularity of single malt scotches has, has increased uh, over, over blends a little bit, at least uh, in the volumes here and there. And um, I find that there's all these distillers that all of a sudden are like creating, that used to be primarily have their business from blended scotch are rebranding themselves as distilleries, as single malt scotches. And they are tasting a lot similar. I mean, this their their whole goal was to create the same product for a blend. And now they're trying to, you know, remarket or reshape themselves as a single malt distillery. Um, and you do see a lot of challenges there, uh, definitely with flavors being very similar. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think there is a certain convergence of, of, styles i mean it's interesting within diageo you know we have 28 or 29 with our experimental distillery uh single malt distilleries in scotland and again 
if you were to do the big 28 new make whiskey, a single malt whiskey glass test, um, which I once saw Dave Broom do in in an afternoon, which was quite an astonishing thing because I gave up halfway through. I just couldn't keep up. Um, but you would you would know that these things are all very different. They're all very different. And within Diageo, we do that because if the worst came to the worst, we'd want to be self sufficient. As it is, we take in whiskey from other people that we use in blends as well as our as well as our own whiskies. But if we needed to, we have every variety of flavour. Uh, that you can think of. Um, if you're one distillery or a small company, one distillery or two distilleries, you've got to make what you think people want. And, uh, you know, unless, you, unless you're out on Isla or somewhere like that, you're probably going to make a style that's not in, not really much different from the guy next door to you, you know. Um, so, I mean, this is a question that Jamie will appreciate. Um, we, we've heard from a lot of our fans um, over the years. And, um, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a year and a half, um, closing up to two years now. And uh, one of the questions we've gotten the, the most frequently is, uh, Dalwini 15, the best whiskey in the world? <laughs> so ja- Jamie does whiskey tastings occasionally. I'll, I'll, Nick, I'll, I'll put this into a little bit of perspective. Uh, Jamie does whiskey tastings occasionally. Uh, well, so not occasionally, but there's whiskey tastings. And occasionally there's scotch in them. Uh, normally yeah. there's bourbon. Uh, it's a, a thing. And um, she'll have uh, people come up to her and be like, so uh, Delwini. That's the best whiskey. That's the best scotch in the world. That that's all you so need to know. Many people. It's for some, and it's always like people don't come up to me and say like, oh well, this is the best and this is the best. For some reason, everybody that loves Dalwini Fifteen, love like loves it so much that they have to come up and tell me about it afterwards. It's a phenomenon. I can't get over it. Like I cannot get over it at all. It's like as soon as someone starts to approach me, I'm like, are they going to tell me about Dalwini Fifteen and how much they love it now? I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for them. <laughs> so yeah, what is that? Is it? it are you noticing? Did Dalwini Fifteen people just go like absolutely nuts over it? Is it like, is this? What is this phenomenon? So that's, that's really <laughs> interesting to hear that. I mean, I think Dalwini. Um... I, I, until you said that, I would probably have have considered, uh, obviously, gr- grotesquely incorrectly, <laughs> that, uh, that Dalwini was by and large uh, um, uh, one of the more underestimated single malts uh, in, our, in our portfolio. Although, it's, I mean, the numbers are pretty, you know, it moves along quite nicely. I mean, it is. I, I think it is underestimated as a. It's a great thing. Here we go about numbers. People don't seem to look at it and realize it's got a big one five on it. Yeah. I mean, it is a very old whiskey. And very yeah. affordable for how old it is. And I was about to say, because someone made a mistake somewhere that we've never quite been able to get ourselves out of. It is exceptionally affordable. It's yeah. a 15-year-old whiskey. It's available everywhere. You could go to yeah. like the crappiest you know, restaurant bar and there's the Hellwini 15 and you could just order it for five bucks. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so in fact, I'll, I'll say it is ridiculously affordable. Um, and uh, it also has – what, so what, for, for me, one of the things that makes Dalwini quite nice is it has a lovely texture. And some some whiskies do, some whiskies don't. Some people think about texture, other people don't. But for me, it's a very important part of the drink. And I think Darwini has a nice texture. It's got a nice degree of sweetness. It's got enough character, but not too much. It is just thoroughly satisfactory. And I would think if you're not a great Scotch whiskey drinker and you've had tried Darwini, 
then maybe you've tried Lagavulin and just can't understand how anyone could be crazy enough to drink that horrible PT <laughs> medicine smelly stuff, <laughs> then you're probably going to decide that Dawini is truly the best single malt whiskey in the world. <laughs> and I know the people that work there and make it truly do believe it's the best single malt whiskey in the world. <laughs> well, and all of its fans, it's, you know, it clearly has a, it's got a bit of a, like a cult following. They just, you know, that it's fascinating. And Mark, Mark actually threw it in a blind tasting for me once. And I couldn't believe I picked it as my favorite. <laughs> really? Well, there you are. <laughs> I, I was so immature, Nick. I, I mocked Jamie. I, I started laughing, like like just giggling, and then when Jamie picked it as her favorite, it was it was, yeah. it was good times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think I... when you do when you do blind tastings, and maybe you don't set out to de deceive people exactly, but you certainly <laughs> want to sort of mess with their heads. A little bit. <laughs> and, See, uh... Nick, Nick and I get along. We, we understand blind tastings very well. well. We, we... <laughs> We, we, I remember we did one uh, of malts and blends at um, uh, Whiskey Live in New York two or three years ago, and um, uh, the, the audience were really freaked out. They did not like doing blind tasting because they, they just had a sense, I think, that they were going to show themselves not to be quite perhaps as expert as they might have <laughs> believed. But the, the, one, the one that was the classic, and I just wish we had had a camera to take a photograph of the audience when we did the, um, the show and tell at the end of the session, was the last whiskey we tasted, which the people in the room, and, you know, we, we had possibly led our witnesses a bit, and, uh, <laughs> you know, there are ways of doing these things and ways of not. But nonetheless, the last whiskey, which they had all declared, to be a single malt of between 10 and 12 years of great excellence, possibly with an island origin, was Johnny Walker Red Label. And the oh, faces no. of the people in the room was, they, I mean, they, were, they couldn't believe it. They were in denial that this was the fact. Oh, no. <laughs> That's oh. even better than yours, Mark. Way better oh. than the Del Winnie surprise. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, mar I marked that down as one of the great moments in my life, along with yeah. my colleague, Ewan Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> we, did, we did a very good job on that one. Well, that, that's pretty impressive because I got to say, we, we did, uh, you know, Diageo had the program where you brought in uh, ambassadors into people's homes uh, that were like, quote unquote, influencers and, and mm -hmm. had a blind. Well, I don't know if you normally did blind tasting, but we asked for a blind tasting. So we had a Johnny Walker, red, uh, blue and um, and black. And um, and as we were doing the blind tasting, um, somebody on the panel was like, tasted red is like, oh, yeah been drinking Johnny Walker Reds all through my university years and they could just pick it out like that and it was not not very you know it wasn't it wasn't a very affectionate drink for them just from the <laughs> history they had well yeah but everyone has that sort of history oh, it's yeah. not a reflection on the drink it's a reflection on the irresponsibility of youth i think probably yeah for most canadians it's rye it's just canadian rye is that, yeah. that response <laughs> that's amazing that's really great um what about okay? So we're going to talk about blends. Um, tell me about these. Um, I haven't heard much about these since the release, and I've not tasted them, so I I'm going to be a little. Um, I don't want to judge them too much. But what about these weird kind of blends that you came out with, like um, the Smoky Goat and uh, Boxing Hairs and um, Huxley? Is it Huxley? Uh, yeah. Yeah. How like how are those doing? Because I feel like you you guys release these products. They never came to Canada. I've not had the the pleasure of tasting them. But I felt like those were that's a product Diageo released that was immediately immediately just had people were just like 
these are weird. What are you guys doing? What's going on here? Um, am I wrong? Am I wrong with my assumptions? Am I like, what's the, what's the goal? What's the uh, consumer? What's the targeted consumer for these products? Um, are they, how are they selling? So these, um, we, we, we have a sort of, uh, I suppose you would call it in business speak, a route to market yeah. for these products, which is called the Whiskey Union. So these these new innovations all live under the Whiskey Union umbrella. Uh, they are being um, seeded and sold at the moment only in Germany and I think Austria. Um, it's very much a bar on trade um, uh, effort, um, a lot of social media. Um, we don't have salespeople as such. We have ambassadors who are all from behind the bar, who are the spokespeople for these brands and mix in a sort of digital social night nightlife sort of, sort of community. Okay. So so we're trying to target target a consumer who's not normally reached by Scotch whiskey, certainly. Maybe reached by some American whiskies, but not necessarily by Scotch whiskey. The whiskies themselves, uh, Smoky Goat is a single malt. Um, Boxing Hairs is a spirit drink. So it's a bl- it's a blended Scotch whiskey that then has um, essences of hops added to it. Um, so it's got a sort of beery uh, character. Are the uh, hops added after the like during the blending process or before? Uh, Mark, I don't know, but my intuition would say that the, the the base whiskey blend is made and then the hop flavors are added uh, right. afterwards to that. Right. Okay. And that the serve for that is actually like a shandy, so it's with lem- le- lemonade. Mm-hmm. Well, that was our serve. I, th- I think it's actually been drunk slightly differently uh, out out in Germany. And then Huxley is this sort of hybrid of world whiskies, which is, you know, just another another take. It's quite interesting, though, because, you know, people moan about Diageo for being, um, you know, old-fashioned dinosaur, behind the times, blah, blah, blah. And then you do something like the Whiskey Union products, and everyone goes, oh, you can't do that. It's too weird. It's too weird. Well... (laughs) Yeah, we have as much right to be weird um, and do different things as uh, anyone else. In, in fact, I think you would argue that as as industry leaders, we should be out there doing the weird things before other people. You can afford it. You're a big company. You can afford it, right? You can take risks. Well, you can afford to take some risk. Yeah. <laughs> and I never know who's listening, so I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> But it would be wrong not not to try and develop new products that, that are ultimately designed to try and bring people not just into the Scotch world, to be frank, but into the whiskey world. It's our job to recruit drinkers into Scotch and into whiskey, because if we don't do that, there'll be no whiskey business, you know? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Um, that's, that makes a lot of sense. I think the... Uh... Um, you know, the, the American version of that would be the, the fireball and, and, and yeah. all the kind of yeah. c- cinnamon or, or honey enriched, uh, whiskey, uh, spirits. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, what's your, what's your go-to, uh, dram right now then? I always, I always ask this question. What's, what's, what's your current people always ask what's your favorite but my favorite changes so often i always just yeah. want to know what people are currently drinking what they keep reaching for yeah so that's that's absolutely right so actually at the moment um i think i have got 
four open bottles in my cabinet, mm -hmm. and one is uh, Johnny Walker Black Label. Uh, another is Klein Leash, fourteen-year-old, which is one of one of my favourites. I have a, a portfolio of favourites, but Klein Leash, you know, which is a very unusual single malt, really, and I think people don't give it enough time. They don't think about it. It's absolutely wonderful. I love it. So Klein Leash is in there. I have a bottle of um, Dimple or Pinch, you might say, from the 1960s, because I quite like to try those older whiskies mm. and pick up in auctions and things. Nice. I've got one of those open, and I have a bottle of beautiful Kalila 12-year-old open as well. So nice. that's not bad. That's very nice, that's I, a actually. Mm. And I've got a bottle of George Dickel, um, the special one that they only sell at the distillery. I have one of those open oh, too. Perks of the job. Yes. <laughs> a, a, a friend gave me a very special gift. So that's uh, oh, that's very that's sweet. Very good. Yep. All yeah. good. All good. Well, I, I I don't think we can um, I don't think we can end the interview without asking um, about the uh, Nick Offerman background. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jamie. This is. Uh, I know it's so I, fun. It's so fun. So we, we, Jamie and I, we, we once a year we have. Um, uh, well, it was, it was only happened once uh, first year, but we're gonna do it a second year. Uh, it's gonna be um, a heel party where we uh, bring all our favorite heels um, and we're just finish them off. And uh, a lot of times brand ambassadors get involved, and so we're just you know pouring a bunch of really great whiskey. And so there's Jamie and I and, and our friends uh, watching the uh, Nick Offerman video where he's you know drinking Lugville in 16. Um, and, uh, and it was a great video. Like it entertained us for four. I mean, we were really at this point, it was like past midnight. So we we've oh, yeah. had, we've had a little bit to drink by that point. <laughs> um, but we were endlessly entertained at midnight with <laughs> the conference. Just video. sitting there in front of the Just fire. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And cheering him on. And, Cause he, he does these things where he like, you think he's going to take a drink, but he doesn't. And then he like puts a glass down because he just <laughs> enjoys the aroma of the scotch and then just puts it down. And you're just like, is he going to, no, he didn't drink it. No. <laughs> I think he takes like two sips during the entire video. If I remember yeah. correctly. Um, can you give us a little back? Do you have any background on that, like their relationship, how that formed? Because we know from from Parks and Rec, he the character loved Luggable, and um, but how did that come together? Well, the uh, I, I'm not closely involved in that, Mark. I'll be, I'll be very upfront about that. But um, uh, the character liked Lagavulin, and Nick Offerman liked Lagavulin, and we got to learn about that, and then spoke to him. So it wasn't a case of product placement into the show i mean he is he is genuinely mm -hmm. as passionate about lagavulin as any lagavulin fan could be and i think that's one of the things that actually makes those the the long film the yule log film and some of the little films as well so um so evidently watchable mm -hmm. is because clearly here is someone that just loves this whiskey loves being in Scotland if you've seen the the film of him going going to Lagavulin and yeah. all of that stuff meeting <laughs> Ian MacArthur I mean it's That's just great. it's yeah. the real deal uh, which is a, a dream come true for you know for for Lagavulin like that you know it's so my husband's in advertising and he you know can't get over how great a pairing it is stuff like that doesn't happen yeah. every day where it's it's so authentic um and it's so funny and it's just it just it's done with uh with just with such an authenticity that you, you can't help but be sort of charmed by the whole thing so yeah it's a fantastic series i love it 
Yeah, yeah it's yeah. hilarious. And I think the uh, I think the um, it's not Lagavulin film. Yes. Mm-hmm. When, when he takes the glass all the way back to the yeah. distillery and uh, <laughs> sniffs it and goes, that's not Lagavulin. Yeah. <laughs> he's on the boat like out of his way it's so good it's so it's so good so well done we've all had that moment at a bar where we order a drink and we're like no 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 this is is not right this is what happened here yeah Yeah. something's gone wrong here yeah oh it is it is you're like is this watered down like what happened here like this isn't right yeah (laughs) particularly if you're if you're a brit like me because you know you don't complain so you just have to be what am i gonna do you know this is terrible (laughs) <laughs> grin and pretend to be enjoying something that you know isn't oh. what paid for yeah it's not right oh it's not right, right. Well, we talked about this before the celebrity endorsement in the whiskey world is, is so tough and we find like a lot of companies try this and they're not a success and um and or right. you hear the, the hear the press release so like so-and-so is going to be the spokesperson for this brand and then you know a month later you forget about it uh whereas yeah with uh mm-hmm. nick offerman it's just been it's been there and it's been authentic yeah. it's been wonderful absolutely yeah. wonderful yeah well i'll take yeah. i'll just take one point on 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 that because i um you know i know i know i work for uh you know what what glenn mordor i mean diageo Ministry of Drinks, this soulless, you know, <laughs> demon um, surrounded by orcs and all that sort of nonsense. I swear to God, Nick listens to our podcast. This is yeah, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know all of that stuff. Um, so therefore, uh, and and I know that some people, I know that some people have a picture of me on their dartboards. You know, so <laughs> that's that's a painful thought sometimes. <laughs> but, but I think quite genuinely that one of the things that makes whiskey generally and Scotch whiskey in particular very different from other drinks and worth all the trouble and worth all the heart searching and sometimes worth the, the harsh words and all of that sort of stuff is that it is a drink of the heart. It is a drink of the heart. And if you don't have that heart, whether you're making it selling it or being like someone like Nick Offerman, you know, sort of talking about it publicly. If you don't have that sense of heart, it just somehow doesn't work, you know, and I think it's quite transparent. Uh, You know, I have tasted whiskies that I believe have not been made with heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I've certainly seen whiskies that have not been sold with heart. And (laughs) I've seen some sort of endorsements where there hasn't been a lot of heart in place either. Uh, so, so I think that there's something. One of the special things about whiskey is that heart thing, and clearly Nick Offerman has got a big heart, and some of it resides, I think, at Lagavulin Distillery. Absolutely, well, well I think that's a lovely, a lovely thought to end on. Absolutely, hey, that's the quote of this podcast. That's amazing. That's it. Done. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. That was so awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was so great. I had quite the laugh. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. It was fun. No, Nick, we appreciate this because, you know, whenever we go into an interview blind, we always go like, well, how serious is this interview going to be? And absolutely my pleasure. And I think if you, uh, when you listen back and, 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 and the guys that listen to the podcast hear it, you might find that there are a few serious points in amongst the humor. Well. <laughs> That's so, exactly what we're looking for. That's exactly what we want. hundred percent. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Thank Nick. you so much, Nick. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.